for our feature interview this week let's call in the highly qualified the highly experienced nutritionist to many of the country's top endurance athletes and athletes of all abilities for our annual chat on all things nutrition Evan Lynch from Evan Lynch Nutrition. Evan, great to have you back for what's nearly an annual event for us now. Evan, I think this is your <laughs> third time on the show. We had you in 2020, I think around Easter time 2021. And probably no better time to have you on in terms of some good practical advice um, with nutrition and our training, given the time of year that it is. Yeah, thanks very much, Owen. Ple- pleasure to be back. Um Am I the most frequent kind of guest like this or has someone awesome. been on more than me? I think you've gone to the top of the charts there with Trey yes. Evans. Zach Hanna has been on twice. I think he's the only man that's been on twice and rightly so after the year that he's had. I might just need to double check that because we have Rene on every week. Um, but you've, yes. gone to, you've gone to the top of the table with your third appearance now. And, and it's been a good year for you, Evan. I know as well you've... You've got lots more research done. You've opened some new elements of the business and you've brought on some new members of the team as well. So from someone looking inwards, people must be signing up to you because you're good at what you do. And I remember from our very first conversation, I was very impressed with the no no bullshit advice that you were giving us all, evidence and research based. So it's great to see the, the business um, expanding for you. Yeah, much appreciated. Um, on twenty twenty two has been a fairly, fairly massive year. I'd, I'd be lying if I said otherwise. Um, just, just a lot of development. I look, you know yourself. It takes, it takes time for these things to grow. And if you do it right, and if you're, if you're doing things right, you're doing, you're doing it well. It, it's growing. But what I, what I will tell you is, there's approximately thirty five people waiting to start with me in January. So I've. I've actually never been as busy and you know, you know yourself and I know it's not nutrition related, but with self-employment, you always wonder, is it all going to stop tomorrow? And the day just never comes. So look, I, I never thought I'd get to do this as a full-time job. So I'm just riding the wave while it's going and enjoying every second of it. Yeah. And um, we're, we're going to go through a couple of things today, Evan, that hopefully are some general points that everybody can pull something from, but as we go through the conversation and as people are listening, if people want to get in touch with you and maybe book an appointment with you for January, even though you have that number there, can people still get in touch and maybe book a consult with you or if not with yourself, maybe one of your new um, team members that are working on your team there as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the consultation clinic is open all year round and there will be availability for that in January. That That's something I run. And if, if you're lucky enough to live local to Clonmel, I have a nutritionist who will be coming in for two days a week who works in the sports domain as well to do in-person stuff that I just don't have time or capacity to do. For anyone geographically diversified, we'll say I have two sports dietitians, one sports dietitian, one sports nutritionist available for remote work as well. So there's, you know, if you if you want to work with the team, get in touch one of us will be very, will be very able and willing to take very good care of you okay super um well let's get cracking on with our own content for today evan and there's so much that we can talk about but i think we said that we try maybe touch on three or four things that have repeatedly came up over the year 
in conversations that you've had with your own running athletes that you've been talking to. Um, so I might just hand the microphone over to yourself, Evan, and if you want to kick off with whatever topic um, um, you feel most comfortable starting with. Yeah, so do you know what? It's it's the 19th of December, Owen. Let's be a bit seasonal and talk about how to manage your diet around Christmas time because all of my clients, Olympians, pro cyclists, weight loss candidates, diabetics, uh, busy mammies, they all have the same question. How will I not go off track over Christmas? I'm sure this is something you maybe hear clients say as well, Owen, right? Yeah, and I suppose the the, the match in then with the coaching side of it and the performance side of it. Some people can be very busy at Christmas time with work and family commitments, where other people have all the time in the world that they don't normally have. And they do extra mileage, extra sessions, get out to the hills more. Yeah. And then, of course, they need to fuel more as well. So it can be very different for, for different people. All of 100 percent, I suppose. Generally, where people are coming from, they talk to me, it's they're almost afraid of a, a consequence that they perceive of having like a mince pie or going out for drinks once or twice over the festive period. And in some cases, what they're asking me is they almost want me to tell them not to do it so that they have a reason not to because they feel that's really beneficial for performance. And you know what? I'm going to probably be a bit controversial here and I'm going to. Gonna, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know what the research says, Owen, about how a, we call it a balanced diet and how maybe a moderate amount of junk food or rose and celebrations, do you know what impact that has on sports performance? Well, I suppose if if someone goes to a Christmas party on a Friday night and, you know, they have a few drinks, they overindulge in in the, in, the, in the food itself and in the desserts that come along, I suspect their, their tempo run the next day or their run in the mountains the next day might be a bit slower than what it would normally be, um, certainly on a short-term basis anyway. It, well, I presume that would be correct, no? <laughs> what I was actually going to say, the research suggests that, uh, it actually, you know, it's wrong for me to say this, there is no research on that topic of like acute junk food intake and sports performance because no, no researcher scientist or dietitian in the world thinks it's a problem in essence the idea that having a couple of roses or a bar of chocolate or a croissant is bad for sports performance is a cultural belief as opposed to a scientific fact and it does it, it genuinely, I've yet to meet an athlete who's not obsessed with eating clean because they feel that, that that's what they're given on Instagram. That's what they're given on Facebook, that this is how this must work. I am an athlete, therefore I cannot do X, Y, and Z. And a lot of it is absolute bollocks, to be perfectly honest. No, obviously, I'd be remiss not to say that, let's say you go on a night out and you have a couple of points and you stay up really late. Those two factors, alcohol and lack and lack of sleep or sleep disturbances, everyone knows that they will affect recovery. It affects heart rate variability. Training will be harder the next day. You're not you're not probably going to smash a tempo run or your best race if you have a lot of drinks or you're you know you're not going to bed till three o'clock in the morning. And I remember from my days as an athlete anyway. 
my my coach, much to my dismay, forced me to train easy for a couple of days around Christmas so I could enjoy the odd yeah. social event. And at the time, I remember thinking, God, this is terrible. This is lost progress. And in hindsight, I'm delighted he did it, you know. And then I suppose another key element then as well is that if you do enjoy a nice big Christmas dinner or a few extra drinks or a bit more dessert at a Christmas party, that you don't feel guilty and therefore you say, OK, well, I'll run an extra two or three miles tomorrow or I'll do an extra 40 minutes in the hills tomorrow to make up for the extra calories that I've consumed. And then yes. I'll get back to square one again because you're probably just asking for trouble then, really. Yeah, and, and all of that stems on from the idea that junk food or whatever you might call junk food is negative for sports performance. People literally think if they eat a biscuit that, well, I've undone a gym session or, you know, that somehow negates my like pace and heart rate zones. They're no longer relevant because they ate a biscuit and they yeah. feel to compensate. So what I thought would be helpful, and I'm going to zip through it, key tips as to how you can manage maybe around Christmas time in terms of managing calories, because it is true that weight management is often often something that happens concurrently with sports performance. And the average weight gain over Christmas is 2.2 kilos. So practically, that's what we want to manage. We don't necessarily want to be telling people they're wrong for eating a biscuit. We just want to make sure that they don't eat a whole tin of biscuits or a whole tub of Pringles or a whole box of roses because that's not balanced or controlled. That's an out and, and do you think, Evan, that, that athletes might actually be more prone to eating that full box of biscuits or chocolates because we kind of starve ourselves of these foods during the year? And I'm not sure if it happens to yourself or if clients have said it to you, but sometimes I find that I haven't eaten, you know, biscuits or milk chocolate all year. And then all of a sudden I might have one and I get this massive, big, positive response in my brain. Oh, my God, that's delicious. And all of a sudden you're on a second one, a third one, and you can't stop because you keep on getting this little rush or this little message in your brain to say, oh, another biscuit, another biscuit, just because we've got no control because we haven't been eating them all year. And it's like this whole new wonderful experience um, for, for our taste buds. Yes, 100%. There's a lot there, right? So thing number one with binge eating disorder let's say or any kind of eating disorders we know that the more someone restricts something or the more negative reinforcement exists as to oh i shouldn't have this the more likely you are to overindulge or binge when you do have it so excessive restriction always leads to excessive binging it's black and white second to that i tend to see and i used to do this athletes are either on or off they have that 100% mentality and it applies to diet as well. I'm taking a few days off training or I'm going easy for a few days. Therefore, I don't need to go to bed early. I don't need to eat my vegetables. I can eat whatever I want because for these few days, I almost don't identify as an athlete. So none of those rules I had in my head apply any longer so I can do what I want. Does, yeah. that, um, does that logic sound familiar to you? Yeah, and I suppose then just the whole emotional eating as well, that at Christmas time, even though maybe we're off work, but we all have different stressors of maybe family commitments and so on, or we're sitting around the table, you're not too sure what to be chatting about. 
And instead of maybe having a chat, you're just eating instead, just to be not sitting there doing nothing. And then, you know, you're just binging that way or you're binging because of the stress of the, of the situation, whatever might be going on. And you're just knocking away those biscuits and those chocolates to help calm the moment down or whatever it might be. Dead, dead right. And look, I suppose I'd be remiss not to point out there's actually terminology specific to, to binge eating. Like there's, there's a difference between overindulging, comfort eating, eating a bit too much and binge eating. Think of it as a spectrum. Overindulging yeah. and comfort eating, you're just having a little bit more than you need to maybe when you don't need it. Yeah. Binge eating is classified as eating massive amounts of calories in a short space of time. But the key thing, and you actually use the word control. When someone suffers from binge eating episodes, the hallmark is that they do not feel in control of what is happening. It's, it's almost like a dissociative state where they cannot stop. And someone who suffers from a legitimate binge eating could eat a whole 15, 16 inch pizza, a bag of chips and a bar of chocolate in 20, 30 minutes and then feel terrible about it. Yeah, I, I'm going to assume where I'm going to go more so towards the comfort eating. Try to talk to your uncle who you see once a year, and you you you've already talked about what the weather is like, so you're you're running short <laughs> on small talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, was there anything else, Evan, from a from a Christmas nutritional point of view you, you wanted to cover before we maybe move on to something other than uh, than Christmas cake and Christmas biscuits and alcohol? There, there is actually, and and this is important, and maybe people will find this interesting because it, it's relevant all year round. At Christmas time, comfort eating happens because we are bored. It's really the only time of year where most people actually have nothing to do. You're not accustomed to having nothing to do. And boredom is considered to be the most difficult emotion for us to deal with. Boredom affects us more negatively than being sad does, actually, from a psychological perspective. Yeah. Having a bottle in your hand, having a tube of Pringles, they're excellent Christmas options because they're time consuming. It's a distraction. It's not that you really love them. It's just, it's a way to distract you. It's the same teenagers on mobile phones is another form of that distraction. It's kind of the same concept. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Sure. So Christmas guidelines 101 that I have for athletes. Number one, you must still take the boxes. You have to eat your vegetables. You cannot skip meals. You still have to include color. You still have to do sports attrition guidelines you know eating carbs before during and after training and eating frequently do that you can then go and have some chocolate have a bit of whatever you want thing number two anyone listening who thinks i'm going to be good this christmas forget about it reimagine what being good is the idea that you must avoid junk food to be a good athlete is a lie and a fallacy the quicker you let go of that the quicker you will be able to actually enjoy your life and not kind of go through cyclical guilt and bouts of determination. Thing number three, watch your alcohol intake. Binge drinking is classified as four or more units in one night. That's two pints or more. You go over two pints, four glasses of wine, you're binge drinking. So the impact that has on sports performance, it affects heart rate variability for approximately 10 days. 
and it can affect sleep architecture for a couple of days. So if you're, if you're planning on having a good indoor season, you probably do need to curtail that in particular. But that's really the only thing I'd kind of be putting, um, what would I say, stipulations and limitations on. Everything else, enjoy in moderation. Interestingly, when you don't feel guilty about it and you know you can have it, you're much less likely to feel out of control. So that's that's all people need to do for Christmas. Yeah, and I remember when, when I worked in an office in Bank of Ireland, um, I used to always have pretty much two weeks off um, at Christmas time. And I always actually used that two-week period, Evan, to actually kind of step up my training a little bit because I wasn't working. I had more time and more energy. I wasn't in the office and it was great. And things are a little bit different now, working for myself. So you're pretty much, as you know yourself, you're, you're working every day. But what I would say to the listeners as well is that if they do have their 10 days, two weeks off over Christmas, not only can they really focus on some good quality training, but they can use maybe that two week period once they have kind of Christmas day out of the way to also really focus on their nutrition as well and kind of get their plan in place for for the springtime, moving on to the summer and set themselves up for a good year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know I know you wanted to look at a couple of points here and I'm going to I'm going to use this opportunity to segue into the next point if that's okay because yeah, it's, please do. it's somewhat relevant and what I'm going to start talking about now is REDS relative energy deficiency syndrome and often oftentimes where it starts or one thing that a lot of red sufferers have in common is I need to be good I need to have a black and white mentality here are the rules that apply to food because I'm an athlete and they often all have that restrictive or avoidant nature, like the Christmas time rules. Yeah, it's a, it's a great topic, um, Evan, and especially because I know you have a big interest in, in the male element of mm. red S syndrome. And it's, it's very um, important for the podcast, Evan, because I was just looking at our stats before we came on on Spotify and 80% of our listeners are actually male runners. So okay. I think to bring us through Red S from a male point of view could be very helpful. Okay. So for anyone who didn't know, I actually started a PhD this year and my research area is looking at the health effects of Red S in male endurance athletes specifically. So to four out of five listeners listening to this, you need to pay attention. And the reason I, I'm segueing now is Owen mentioned setting yourself up for having a good 2023. If you get reds, good luck and thanks to your next two seasons. It's not happening. Reds is something that sneaks up. And in men, do you know what? Actually, I'm going to explain what reds kind of is first before I talk about how it affects you and how it happens. Think of it like malnutrition, but specifically in athletes. And If you look at athletic cohorts, specifically endurance athletes and specifically running and cycling and triathlon, where a lean physique is championed and where low body fat levels are the norm and where, you know, people compare each other. Oh, this is my percent body fat. This is my watts per kilo. This is my VO2 max. If you actually ask runners about like weight and diet, they actually generally have a very disordered outlook on it. So REDS effectively, it's a collection of symptoms that comes from every aspect of physiological and psychological functioning 
that is negatively impacted when an athlete under consumes calories. So the driving force of relative energy deficiency syndrome is called low energy availability. So, and what, what that basically means, Owen, if you know what your weight is and you know roughly what percent body fat you are, like, so say I'm going to make some easy maths for myself. Yeah. Let's pretend I'm 50 kilos. I'm, I'm not 50 kilos, by the way, I'm, I'm about 90, but let's, let's pretend I'm 50. And I am 20% body fat. That means 40 kilos or 80% of me is fat-free mass. It's the the bit of me that isn't body fat. Okay? Makes sense so far? Yeah, sure. For female athletes, and again, the other one-fifth probably, if you multiply that non-body fat number, so in my case, in my example here, it's 40 kilos. If you multiply that by 30, that's where your risk increases as a female for developing reds. If you keep on, on that number long enough, you're going to start seeing menstrual disturbance, uh, stress fractures, immunosuppression. You're going to see issues of body composition. You're going to get sick and injured more. Optimum yeah. for women is... Yeah, Evan, when, when you say we, when you stick on that number long enough, it will lead to such and such. What, what number are you referring to, Dan? You, you mentioned 40 by 30. What was that? So yeah, 40 by 30. So for, for a woman, let's say, let's say the woman has a fat-free mass of 40 kilos, right? Yeah. If, they, if that lady consumes 1,200 calories a day of an energy availability long-term, okay. that, that's going to result in massive health problems. And how we calculate energy availability We look at someone's calorie intake and we take away the exercise costs. So it's the energy left over to support biological functioning. For women, the critical threshold is 30 calories per kg of fat-free mass. Optimum is 45 calories or more per kg of fat-free mass. Okay? Okay, yeah. And then for men, so men are trickier to study. It wasn't actually even acknowledged until I think it was 2014 that that underfueling was actually able to affect men. And it was just shot, shot off as you're tired. You didn't sleep great. Now you're just stressed. And because it's easy to, you know, you can, you can almost explain away fatigue and poor training performance and injuries as par for the course, right? Yeah. So that, that research base is currently emerging. But what we see on is that, men behave differently than women when it comes to calorie restriction. And for men, it depends on the research group and how long they've been in a low energy state, but it's around 15 calories per kg of fat-free mass. You need to keep someone at that for only a couple of days before a man starts to see reduced testosterone levels, immunosuppression, reduced insulin sensitivity, a whole bunch of things. But what yeah. we're missing at the moment, we don't know, is it long-term if we keep a man at kind of that, that equivalent um, 30 calories per kg of fat-free mass mark? We don't know what happens because the research hasn't been done yet. It's still growing. Okay. Um, in terms of symptoms, 
if it is happening, Evan. And I know you did a, a video a couple of weeks ago, which was brilliant. I, I thought yeah. you, you were great to do it. Um, I've come across that point before, uh, and let me help you along the way here with this conversation because I, I think it actually, yeah, yeah, it, it's key, and it's something that, that I follow myself every week, and uh, it's to make sure, Evan, that a, a male athlete has a certain number of boners a week. It, it, it's as simple as yeah. that to show yeah. that you're 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 training, you're not overtraining, you're eating well, your body is functioning correctly. Um, and if you don't have that sex drive, if you don't have that bonus, you got you got it, problems. You've got problems. Um, I don't know if you have any stats, Kevin, to help us. Should it be every morning? Should it be every day? Um, I say it in jest, but also say it quite seriously yeah. as well. It, do you know what? The two of us are kind of laughing here, and I'm I'm accustomed to talking about this, and, and I assume you are. But this just goes to show how much it's a taboo in men. And this is one of the reasons the research is lagging in men, right? I, I'm 27. I know when I was in college where this stuff tends to fester and start. If I asked all of my colleagues in UL Athletic Club, do you have erectile dysfunction? They would say, no, I'm sound. No one admits to it, okay? Because there's a taboo with it. What I can tell you, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the question in a second, but I had mentioned that we don't know fully how low an athlete's calories needs to be for how long in men to be problematic. But here's an interesting one. An athlete who goes through periods of the day where they get into a big energy deficit, men or women, I've studied this in men specifically, that can cause reds. That can cause all of the same symptoms as can a low carbohydrate diet. So if you have an athlete doing big fasted training sessions or yep. intermittent fasting or high fat diet approaches, that low glycogen availability and building up that negative calorie deficit during the day, that is more than enough to start changing bone health markers. It's enough to cripple that um, hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis that governs testosterone production, luteinizing hormone, and all of those reproductively relevant hormones. You mm. can do that by, by any of those means. And I know a lot of people do that and it's not considered a problem. So we're not just looking at not eating enough. We're looking at the pattern and what the person is eating. And I mentioned testosterone and that's what links in here. One, one fact and maybe you did, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. There is a condition known as exercise male hypogonadal syndrome, and it's considered to be an adaptive response to endurance exercise, where male endurance athletes, their testosterone levels are 20 to 40% lower than, let's say, I don't know, a tennis player or a soccer player or a fellow who just sits on his arse all day. Okay. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's hard. And if we start then to see an athlete who is not really having a whole lot of interest in sex or sex drive, they're not getting morning erections every morning. So that's to answer your question. It's supposed to be a, a daily thing. Or maybe every morning. That's what I was going to ask, Evan. Yeah. Should, yeah. Are, are we doing okay if it's just two or three times a week? Or if we're not every morning, we need to up our game. 
And you need to you need to start pumping out a few weights and eat a few more spuds if it's not every morning, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Yeah, and, sure, sure. And I remember Evan reading um, an article uh, by a pro runner one day, I forget the name of the guy, and he was saying that he knew he was ready to race championships when he wanted to have sex with his wife. And, and if he didn't, he knew that he was just overtrained, he was undercooked or whatever it might be, um, but he knew that he was in championship performance standard when everything was working okay and when he wanted to, to kiss and cuddle with the missus and uh, it, it was it's something that i remember distinctly because it makes total sense doesn't it yeah. that you're that you're full of energy that you're full of vitality and therefore you can go out and perform and if you're not if you're just slouching around the day no interest in doing anything low in energy for all other aspects of life just so you can get your training done yeah well then you've got a big problem I can explain that, and I don't know if if that's quite the policy that Sport Ireland are ready to adopt just yet. But it, it's it's definitely a good proxy. So let's look at overtraining or underfueling. Both cause the same problems because they result in energy deficits generally, or massive amounts of cortisol and catecholamines at baseline. So if, if you're already thinking, Jeannie, I don't get boners every morning or the erectile strength I notice is not as strong as it used to be. If you also have poor sleep, sleep disturbances, difficulties getting to sleep, you're losing interest in sport. You are finding it hard to do intensive workouts or you can do gym work and easy training well, but you cannot sustain anything that's at the higher end of your aerobic range. You need to talk to someone like me and you need to go to a GP who's interested in sports and get your fasted cortisol levels checked in the morning. And you need to get your testosterone and T3, your triidiotyronine hormone checked along with kind of a normal blood count. The sports surgery clinic in Santry are really, really good for this. And I've worked alongside them with some athletes or there's some, there's some really good med sports medicine physicians around the country. But that's what you need to do. AS. It, 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 is it easy to turn around, Evan? Because I suspect probably there is a lot of guys out there who are maybe on the edge, who maybe yeah. aren't quite there yet, but are on their way. Can we turn that around easily? I, I presume cutting out things like fasted long runs up the mountains, fasted sessions first thing in the morning. And yeah. you just got to feel, you got to feel pre and post. Here's what I've seen, how it works anecdotally and what we know from the research so far. The first thing to suffer is sports performance. And then you start to see increases in cortisol, low testosterone levels and stress fractures. They are some of the latter things to happen. So if that's happening, you're already after doing a whole host of damage. Recovery times vary. I had a really high level athlete this year and last year who recovered within five months and they had like, they were really, really severe into it. Like they, 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 they had um, massive energy restrictions. They weren't able to tolerate any kind of tempo work. Sleep was all over the place. A libido was absolutely shagged, iron deficient, immunosuppressed. It was a disaster. So the timeline that I see, depending how far you've gotten into it, if you're, you know, acting quick and it's at the stage where you're finding training is hard and you're kind of tired all the time and you think you have a shy diet, 
but you've had no obvious kind of negative outcomes like a stress fracture or any kind of endocrine problem, you'll feel better within a couple of weeks if you increase your carb intake significantly and address any deficiency that you're currently are probably suffering from. That can take a few weeks. What I yeah. tend to see with people, and if they're asking me, like, you know, Ivan, when, when is this going to get better? Training will feel easier instantly and daytime energy levels will be better quickly. Yeah. Within a couple of weeks, they're sleeping better. And then, the, you know, it can, it can depend, but they get way better at training. That, that's, that's progressive. Training gets easier and easier. For men then, you know, they might notice that libido picks up. And I, I had, um, I can't say what, he won a marathon in Ireland in 2022. I can't say which one because it would identify him. But sure. testosterone levels doubled in, I think it was three months. White blood cells went from suppressed to normal. Ferritin count doubled. Everything just went the right way because we filled him to the absolute fucking ears with carbohydrates. That's that's the treatment. If you saw Brilliant, from red, yeah, you yeah, it's 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 really it's reassuring to hear, Evan, because I know for a number of years there was a push, wasn't there, especially for endurance athletes, marathon, ultra runners, to go towards the more fat-based approach. That it was a cleaner way of eating, and we were told that we can run all day on fats. But I think if there's any type of intensity involved and just to avoid those risks there, from what I've experienced myself as well, just from my own training, really, um, that you just need the carbs even during races as well. Now, I know you'll always have a few outliers who can go through a whole ultra marathon on nothing and might just eat something because they're bored. Like a good friend of mine told me there a couple of weeks ago, who's a very successful um, ultra runner. But for most of us, we need to be getting our fuel in. What I would say there, and I suppose, again, I have no hassle being controversial because I'm, I'm qualified to say what I'm about to say. I would say that no reputable sports dietitian or sports nutritionist who actually understands the evidence and the implications of a high-fat diet has ever suggested someone do a high-fat diet. We've known for approximately four years now, Owen, that fat-fueled exercise is not as economical. So there, there was a project Supernova there in Australia. They did it with race walkers, actually. Yeah. I have to know a bunch of the subjects. And they did them with high-fat and high-carb diets. The high-fat diet guys, their VO2 maxes were higher, but they were about, on, I think it was an average of 100 seconds slower in a 10K time trial, despite okay. having a VO2 max. And the takeaway was fat adaptive responses on paper make you fitter but you're way slower and also if you look at the health effect of a high fat diet you develop insulin resistance most people also get high cholesterol when they do it because most people don't do it well or safely mm. and it can also make gut issues more likely yeah what i would also point out High fat diets are very hard on your stomach during exercise. Yeah. It's it's very, very difficult to fuel up during exercise in a high fat diet. And irrespective of that, aerobic training itself or being a well-trained endurance athlete, properly training at your zones and maybe putting in the odd low carb session 
that gets you as good at burning fat as you really need to be. What it boils down to for ultra runners, and I work with a lot of ultra runners and people doing marathon de sables, and it, you know, it's public knowledge that I worked with Sean there when he did the Antarctic Marathon just a couple of days ago. You don't need to specifically focus on burning fat. You need to have have it in your tool belt, but you you need to emphasize race day nutrition. That's your saving grace. If you're fit otherwise, you'll perform to your utmost. You don't need to be fat adapted. Yeah. Um, Evan, I know we're, we're getting close to the end of the 35, 40 minutes that we said we try and stick this, stick this conversation to. And we've covered two great sections, um, Christmas, nutrition plans, and then this topic here as well. And maybe just to finish off on, Evan, uh, some advice maybe on those runners who who don't want to fall into that trap of doing the majority of their runs fasted, say, first time in the morning, before they go to work or before their day starts with their family commitments, their work commitments, and they just don't have time to get up two hours before their training session to get a breakfast in and digest it. And um, what mm. can they do um, to make sure they have something just before they go out the door? And um, something I've experimented with and what I found that works very well for myself is, is literally the minutes before I start my run first thing in the morning, I'll take maybe two or three dates. Easy to, to digest. I get a nice little sugar high. And if I'm right, um, Evan, I think I maintain that sugar spike and I off I go training and energy levels are good. <laughs> I read that somewhere, <laughs> something like that. And it's been working for me ever since. But listen, I'll ask you, the expert, am I doing the right thing? And what can people in general, in general do that might be in a similar situation, which I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are, yeah. are living through something similar. That is that is one way to do it. You could go for a banana as well. That would that would work pretty great. If you struggle with appetite in the morning, you could try just sipping a sports drink pre pre training. If you have half an hour, if you have a Lucasade Sport or Gatorade or Powerade, whatever, sip that for half an hour before you go, and maybe bring a gel with you. Yeah. What is also helpful if you have a session first thing in the morning and you're shocking at eating in the morning. Have a big bowl of cereal before you go to bed and still try to get something small like your dates, your bananas, your sports drinks in before you go. And then you're, yeah. you're generally okay. 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 I remember a great tip you gave us last time was, and I've said this to a couple of people and it works a treat, a bowl of Rice Krispies, either just before you go to bed or even for that pre-training session snack that morning. Very easy to digest and full of simple carbohydrates to use as well. Yeah, I actually had a bowl of Rice Krispies there a little while ago. I went, uh, I was out for half an hour. So I, uh, I, I only run to eat Cocoa Pops. <laughs> yeah. well, well, listen, Evan, thanks a million for coming on again. Uh, it, it was short and sweet, but it was some brilliant, brilliant tips for Christmas. And something that I think, as I said, 80% of our listeners probably need to keep an eye on. Evan, thanks a million. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, Evan, you might just tell us, where the best place to, to go to get in touch with you is. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at elynchfitnot or you can email me info at evanlynchfitnot.com. You could just Google me as well. You find me as well. So yeah, I'm pretty easy to get. Okay, happy Christmas, Evan. Thanks a million. Thanks very much, Owen. Have a great Christmas.
That's a wrap for this week, everybody. And apologies there if the sound on my end was a little bit off for the chat with Evan. A big thank you to Rene and Evan for some great running and nutritional tips, as always, from the guys. And if you would like to listen to some discussion on Red S Syndrome for both male and female athletes, because I am conscious we did put a male slant on the topic there with Evan. But of course, the issue has come to light with female athletes, especially first and foremost over the last couple of years. And in episode 12 in our coaching slot with Rene and the two of us delved into the topic in more detail so do check out your Trail Running Ireland feed where you listen to the podcast and you can click on the first couple of minutes of episode 12. Guys that's a wrap for 2022 everybody thank you for listening in thank you to our patrons who help keep the show going thank you for your support thank you to all the listeners guys have a great happy christmas enjoy your training of course too and we look forward to catching up early in the new year and talking all things trail running ireland everybody get your running gear on let's go happy christmas